All right, morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Before we get into our message and passage this morning, I want to personally invite you to come with us to change the world uh, in 2024. Uh, some of you know that our church has been going to Africa with Shine and our dear friend Sammy Wanyoni, amen, for about a decade now, actually. And really, it is one of the most fruitful things that our church has done for the kingdom. In fact, uh, this past summer, we had 22 people from our church go to Mozambique, and they were able to personally lead 1,800 people to the Lord. That's incredible, right? And they were a part of a broader targeted mission in that city where a thousand churches came together. That's amazing, right? A thousand churches and 97,000 people made decisions for Christ because of how they're targeting cities, which strategically and through prayer is pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. And so we are going back to Africa again in May, and this year we are going to be going to Ethiopia, and we would love for you to come with us. In fact, this trip is so powerful. It's so impactful that we are praying that 40 people would go with us. That is almost double than what we've ever taken. But Jesus Christ says that the harvest is plentiful. And that is so true in Africa right now. The harvest is plentiful. But what does he say? But the workers are few. And I'm asking you, will you be a worker? Will you be a worker and come with us? It is an amazing opportunity for you to go deeper in your faith. And honestly, people need to hear about Jesus. But the harvest is ripe, particularly in, South, in, excuse me, in sub-Saharan Africa right now. People are so interested in Christ, and we have a freedom there. Unlike in many other places in the world, there's a freedom there to teach on the streets, to set up events. And so the Lord is moving so mightily in that region, but we just need workers who will go with us to help reach people for the gospel. Uh, I want to give you just kind of a, a video snippet preview of what this will look like. So take a look at this. Come on now. Okay. Uh, you do have to learn how to dance if you go to Africa. That is, I will train you in that. Okay. Uh, if you come, you're going to be sharing your faith, and we will train you how to do that. We will teach you how to begin to share your faith. And I know many people who have gone with us in the past have said it has been one of the most impactful, one of the most important things that they have ever done. And I always tell people, listen, Matthew chapter 28 in the Bible, which is the Great Commission, it has already called you as a believer to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So you actually don't need to go home this week and pray, God, are you calling me to go? He's already called you. The only thing you need to pray is, God, is there any reason that you don't want me to go uh, this year? Okay, so that's how you can pray. Uh, you can pick up an application, which are out in the uh, lobby. They're due December 10th. Uh, one thing that you will see on there that I do want to hit before I move into the message is it's not cheap to fly to Africa, okay? But I do want to tell you that the majority of our people actually raise the majority of the money for this trip, and we will train you how to do that as well. So we'll train you how to share your faith, uh, fundraise, and, and dance. Um, and... <laughs> 
There's a class. I lead the class. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, but many of our people actually even go for free to Africa, um, which is pretty amazing. So even if you're 10% interested, would you pick up an application on our website or, or in the lobby before you leave today? Okay. All right. Let's get into uh, today's message. We are actually at the end of our study of the first half of the letter of Ephesians uh, in the Bible. And so I want to give you just a little quick preview for where we're going next as a church. And so starting next Sunday on November 26, we will be going into a new series uh, called In the Beginning Was the Word. And we're going to study the first two chapters of the book of John, uh, which is one of the stories about Jesus in the Bible. That's going to be awesome. We're going to do that for about six weeks or so. And then starting January 14th, we're going to do what I think is one of the biggest and one of the most important series that we've ever done in the history of our church, and we're going to dive deep into the pressing issues of our day of gender and sexuality, and we're going to study what do the scriptures have to say on these pressing issues of our day. And then once we get kind of into the middle, later part of February, then we'll come back into the second half of Ephesians. But today, we're at the end of the first half of Ephesians, and we've come to a great passage on prayer. And I just find humans have this built-in desire to pray, right? Even people who say they don't believe in God or that they don't really go to church, what do they do when life gets desperate? They pray, right? Or even, even nowadays, you can walk around a mall or somewhere where you see a fountain. What do people do with the fountain? They throw their coins into it. Why, right? It's because people just have this desire within them that there must be something out there that has the power to change our world and change my circumstances. And I'm telling you, there is, and he does have that power. So let's take a look at that. So I want everybody to grab some sort of Bible. We're going to dive into God's Word. Uh, If you're using the church Bibles, just grab the Bible under the chair in front of you, or it's under your chair near the front row. Uh, We're going to be on page uh, 800 today in our church Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Really for the first Seven messages we've already done in Ephesians. This has kind of gone fast. Uh, The first three chapters or so, Paul has just been talking about how remarkable God's redemption is, how amazing the gospel is. Whenever you hear that word in church, by the way, if you're new to church, and I know many of you are, and that's awesome, uh, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ can save us and transform our lives. Paul's praying over and over that we would get a deeper understanding of the gospel, of God's amazing love for us. And so here we're kind of at the end of Paul's gospel focus. And then when we come back in February, the second half of Ephesians is very practical. But all that practicality actually flows out of the gospel. Okay, it's not separated from it. It comes out of the gospel. But here, as we transition from part A to part B, many scholars say it's even kind of the high point of Ephesians. So much so that we're only going to look at two verses today, okay? All right, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 3. So you find the big number 3. That's the chapter. And the small number 20. That is the verse. If you do that, you will be in the right place. Okay, here's what Paul writes. He says, Now to him who is able... He's talking about our God. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay? So you kind of see he's ending that first half of the letter. Now, look at the great links here. If you're just sort of looking at the text that Paul's going to, to explain the great power of our God. So, Here's what, God, here's what Paul could have said, right? He could have said, God can do what we ask, right? And even if he had just written that, is that not amazing? That's still pretty amazing, right? Or, or Paul could have written, God can do more than we ask. 
Whoa, right? He could have written, God can do more than we ask or imagine, okay? He could have said, God can do more than all we ask or imagine. That's amazing, right? But what does he say? What does the text say? It says, God can do immeasurably. You can't even measure it. More than all we ask or imagine. Why does he write like that? He writes like that because he's going to great lengths to show you just how unfathomably powerful our God is. And in so many ways, church, I believe that our God has already done immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine by saving us. You know, when, when we're out in the mission field in Africa, uh, sometimes we see God do a miraculous things. It can feel some days like you're just somewhere in the book of Acts, right? But we always tell people when we see that, that the greatest miracle, the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation. I remember hearing my good friend Pastor Josh preach once, and he said, listen, even if you're at church and your leg fell off during the first song, and then God miraculously grew it back during the third song, the miracle of salvation is still more amazing. Because he said, that leg is actually still just going to die someday, right? But salvation is different. I mean, think about what God does when he saves you through faith. First of all, he has mercy on us, right? We've sinned against a holy God. We deserve his justice, his judgment, his wrath. But he's willing through our faith to have mercy on us. And then on top of that, he sends his Holy Spirit to us, like the ones that offended him to come reside in us and live in us. That's, that's incredible. And then the scriptures say that when we die, he's going to transport us to a different place. Right? This is kind of miraculous, right? First Thessalonians 4, he's going to renew your body, give you a new body that's going to last forever, 1 Corinthians 15, and you're going to stay there forever in paradise with your God. That's way more miraculous than any sort of physical healing. And what he's done in saving you is immeasurable. I would say it's sort of even mind-boggling. And I'm not sure that we grasp it all that well because it's too familiar with us. And maybe it would be more surprising if you were hearing the gospel for the first time as like an unreached people group or something. I think one way to maybe help us think through this is this way. Okay, imagine that there is an alternate universe. So this is an illustration for the sci-fi friends uh, <laughs> in the room. Imagine there's an alternate universe somewhere where God exists and God has a son, but in that universe, everybody knows about God and they know about his son, but he never sent his son down to earth or anything like that. Could you imagine anyone ever in that universe looking up at that holy and that powerful God and saying, God, I have sinned against you. So here's what I think you should do. Why don't you send your son down to earth to die a bloody death to take the punishment from me so I can be made right? When you think about it that way, isn't what God did for you already immeasurably more than any of us could actually even ask for? And he's done it for us. And Paul says he can and he will do even more. Even more. In the middle of verse 20, Paul says he, he, can, he's, he can do all these things, right? And then in the middle of verse 20, he says that he will do it according to his power that is at work within us. That means God wants to use his Holy Spirit to work through you to do these amazing things. But it's God who's doing it. That's why the next verse says, to him be glory in the church. 
But can you even fathom that? Can you even fathom that God wants to use you in the first place, but that he wants to do amazing things through you? I'm not sure that we think about this enough. I'm not sure that we think rightly about this enough. I think rather than sitting and marveling at the great power of our God, I think too many Christians sit around fearing the supposedly great power of our culture. And we look around saying, everything's changing. Oh, can you see what's happening? I don't really know. I just, it, it just, the world's it's just changing. And we might as well just wave a white flag and retreat back into the corner. But who is our God? And what is the power of the gospel? We carry the words of life. I don't care if the world's changing. We have the gospel that can bring, it's the power unto salvation. Right? The Bible says not even the gates of hell can overcome the church and his gospel. God can do anything, anything. Let me give you an example of this. This summer, I read the very engaging uh, autobiography of the charismatic evangelist of Reinhard Bonnke. Um, I'm not sure that our uh, theology is uh, perfectly identical or anything like that, but we would agree on the essentials. And actually, the Lord used Reinhard Bonnke to lead more people to Christ in Africa than any other human ever, which is pretty amazing, okay? But in his autobiography, he tells a story of one time when he was invited to speak at a church outreach in Kimberley, South Africa in the late 1970s. And he shows up in South Africa, and they're just doing kind of like a, you know, a nightly outreach at this particular church. And every night, only church people come to the outreach. And in fact, most of the people are coming are of the uh, elderly crowd, and they're wearing their fancy clothes. And so Bonky says to the local pastor, he says, hey, where are all the young people in this big city? Because it was a big city. And he said, let me show you. He said, why don't you get in my car? So they get in this car, and they drive downtown into Kimberley, and they go to kind of this warehouse district, and there's this huge warehouse-looking building with just thumping bass pumping out of it. Now, this is the late 1970s, and they walk up to the building, and there's just one word blinking over the door. You know what it says? It says, Disco. Okay? <laughs> now, it's funny now, right? Because you think of people in just ridiculous clothes and incredible dance moves and stuff like that, right? But it actually wasn't funny then. And some of you know this, but there was a lot of that movement that was filled with drugs and promiscuity and so much more. And these young people were totally lost in a lot of difficult magnetic sin. So they're looking at the building. And Reinhard Bonnke starts to walk back to the car. You ever have those like Holy Spirit gut check moments? You're like, ugh. And he's walking back to the car and he feels like God's going, get inside. It's like, but I'm an evangelist. Like I can't be seen in there, right? But you gotta be obedient. So he goes into the building and he walks in and he sees all of the young people and he said his heart just broke for them. And he's like, God, can I go now? You know? <laughs> but then he felt like the Lord was saying, preach the gospel to these people. Okay, time out a second. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when the Lord asks you to do something scary? Right, you're, it's probably not going to preach in a disco club. I don't think they exist anymore. But what, what if he asks you, he says, oh, it's time for you to quit your job. Or, hey, this afternoon I want you to share your faith with a family member. And you're going, what do you do in those moments? What do you do? Let me tell you something. If you're not the type of Christ follower that believes God at his word, when he says he can do immeasurably more, then what you do in those scary situations is actually you do nothing. 
You do nothing. And there are a whole lot of Christians, way too many of them, that we do nothing. And then we sit around in our church small groups and we talk about how come God's not moving like he used to in the days of the Bible. And maybe because we don't believe him like the days of the Bible. But what if we had faith to do that? Reinhard Bonnke was a man who had seen God do a lot of things. And so in obedience, he walks up to the owner of the disco and he says, I would like to preach the gospel to your young people. And the guy says, uh, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Please get out of here, right? But then he felt like the Lord asked him to ask a very specific question. And so he asked him and he says, do you think that the young people find what they need for life in here? And the owner pauses for a second and he says, you know, it's really crazy that you ask that exact question because I was thinking about that exact same thing earlier this morning. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't think I would even want my own kids to come to this place. And then a wave of conviction comes over the owner and he says, okay, all right, I tell you what, not tonight, but tomorrow night, come back at midnight, I'll give you five minutes. So the next night, Reinhard Bonnke comes back, clock strikes 12. They shut off the Saturday night fever or whatever it is, right? And he stands up and he begins to preach. And he talks about sin and the cross and God's forgiveness and his redeeming love. And all over the room, the young people start to cry. And hundreds of them, hundreds of them, give their lives to Christ. And the local pastors start following up with them. Now, Bonky's an itinerant evangelist, so he travels all around the place. One year later, comes back to Kimberley, South Africa, same town. His friend, the local pastor, picks him up at the airport, and he says, Reinhardt, get in the car. i got to show you something. And he gets him in the car, and he drives him down to the same warehouse place. They go to that same building, but now, at the same building, instead of this giant word disco of the building, uh, over the building, the sign is down, and in its place is a gigantic cross. Because the young people had started a church after the disco went out of business. And there were hundreds of young people passionately following after Jesus Christ because one man said, okay, I'll go inside to this club. That's amazing. But here's what's amazing. We worship in Blaine, Minnesota, the same God. The same God who has the same power. And church, some of you have seen this, have been around this place for a while. Some of you have had a front row to this. God has done amazing things even in this place. Did you know that we have seen over 250 people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ in this room since we opened this building a little over two years ago? That's amazing. Sometimes I wish you could see what I see when I get to talk to them after the service and tears are in their eyes and they're surrendering their life to Jesus Christ and seeing them walk in in the months to come and just the smiles on their faces of what God is doing that. He's doing that in this place. But here's the thing. Okay, if the Apostle Paul were here today and he was our guest speaker and he kind of you know, sauntered onto stage, I, I bet the Apostle Paul would say this. I bet he'd look around and say, this is great. But here's the thing. You... You all, Renovation Church, you haven't actually even scratched the surface yet of the capacity that God has to do immeasurably more through you. That's the power of our God. And that's true. And we've got to believe that. We've got to think like that. Because the truth is 80% of our city, much, mostly the same percentage of our county, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're lost. 
They don't know him. But can God use us to start a movement here in the North Metro to reach people for Christ? You better believe he can, because that's who our God is. And God can do similar things in your own lives. You know, some of you walked into church this morning, and honestly, you're in a tough spot. Some of you are in situations with just family strife. Some of you have a sibling or a parent or an adult child that honestly the relationship is strained and you haven't even spoken in over a year. Some of you are in a work situation because you just don't know how to get out of. Maybe, maybe your health has declined suddenly. Or you just don't know what's next for your health. Maybe your marriage is starting to fall apart. I don't know what it is that you're facing, and a lot of us are facing significant things. But the question is, from God's word today, is what do you think that God can do about it? Is God able to do something about it? And here's the thing. I've been pastoring this church since we started it, and so I've talked to a lot of people, and this is how I think most people respond to that question in this church. I think there are a lot of people in this church that have a high respect for the word of God. So I actually think most people would answer the question by saying this. Yes, I believe that God can do something, and I'm sure that he is doing something in places like Africa or in someone else's life. But when we think about our own hard situations, honestly, isn't it a little bit hard to believe that God could do that in your own life? But look at me. This says... That our God is more than able. It says that his power is so strong, you literally can't even measure it. That's why we have a core value at this church. You can see it out in the lobby. That when we pray, we pray the impossible. And we pray the impossible because we worship a God who makes the impossible possible. That's who he is. But do you believe that God can do that in your life? Personally? We've got to have the faith to ask that. You know, one of the things that always uh, jumps out to me when I read the Gospels, the Gospels are the four books in the New Testament about the life of Jesus, is often Jesus is kind of stunned by the lack of faith that people have. You know what I mean? Like, uh, for instance, in, when you read in the, the Gospel of Mark and Jesus is in his hometown, it says this, Mark 6, says he, that's Jesus, could not do any miracles there because they didn't have the faith. And then it says, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, sure, yes, God often acts despite our level of faith. But the Bible also teaches, especially in the Gospels, that our level of faith matters. And many of us are sort of missing out on this immeasurably more part of the Christian faith because we're not bringing our faith to God saying, God, I believe you can do this. Now, I do, I do want to say this, because this is a thinking church, okay? So we've got to balance the tension here, because I think when we get to bi- biblical prayer, sometimes people get out of whack, right? And they go to the extremes. Like, we need to be careful here, because on the one hand, you don't want to say, well, I don't really need to pray, because, you know, the Lord has his will, and he's going to do whatever he's going to do. Okay, that's not biblical prayer. That's, that's fatalism. That's not how the scriptures call us to pray. And you also don't want to go to the other extreme and say, I'm going to claim my miracle. I'm going to name it, I'm going to claim it, and I'm going to declare it, and God's going to do it. Okay, that's not how we pray, church. That's more like witchcraft than Christianity. We don't command God for what to do. But when it comes to biblical prayer, we are told to pray with faith. 
like he can do it. Uh, whenever I explain this sort of biblical tension, I like to explain it by saying this. So let's just put this on the screen. We're supposed to pray this way as biblical Christians. We are to pray with such faith that we believe that God could do absolutely anything and yet trust him with the same level of faith if he chooses to do nothing. That is biblical faith in our high king. But praying in faith is a part of it. And sometimes Christians, Bible-believing Christians, aren't that good at that sort of thing. But today we've come to a passage in the Word of God that is exhorting us to pray in faith. And honestly, I think too many of us pray with too much timidity. We kind of pray like, oh, Lord, um, hey, <coughs> I know you're busy, um, but uh, I just am wondering. I got some issues. My, my, my mom is just, and, and if you can, and I'm just, we need to pray like they prayed in the Bible. Okay, we need to pray like Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea saying, okay, Lord, come on. Right? We need to pray like Joshua says, Lord, I need you to make the sun stand still. We need to pray like David coming at Goliath. Right? We need to honestly just pray like Jesus taught us to pray, to say, Lord, I need you to move that mountain. Right? That's how we're taught to pray, to pray in faith. Let me give you an example of this. The other day, a friend shared with me a story about Lillian Trasher. I don't know if you heard that name before, but uh, Lillian was a uh, famous missionary um, from the early part of the 20th century, the early half, I should say, um, in Egypt. And she was a missionary who opened an orphanage, and she ended up serving over 10,000 orphans and widows in Egypt, which is amazing. But one of the more difficult parts of her ministry occurred in World War II. And during World War II, while the battles were raging, they were down to the very end of their supplies and their food for all of these orphans. In fact, things were so dire that they held, with all of the children and all of the widows, they held an all-night prayer meeting, just begging God, we need you to move. We don't even know how we're going to eat tomorrow, but we trust you. We believe that you are the God that can do immeasurably more. And so we're just asking you somehow. We can't even see how it could happen. There's so many of us. But we believe you can do it. Well, the next morning, Lillian gets a phone call from the American ambassador. He says, I'd like you to come into my office. So she goes down into town, goes into his office, and he says, are you in need of supplies? <laughs> and she says, yes. And he says, well, here's the thing. You'll never believe this, but there is a massive Red Cross ship that was going by. They were trying to get to another country, but they're blocked because of what's happening in the war. In fact, the enemy is coming, and so they need to retreat, and they need to retreat quickly. So they've been talking about dumping all of their supplies overboard so they can get out of here, but then somebody said, this is what we call the Lord putting on someone's heart, right? Somebody said, there's an orphanage in town. Why don't we just quickly drop some things off there first and then go? And so listen to this. Here is the result of their all-night prayer meeting, and notice how it is immeasurably more than they thought possible. They were given 2,600 dresses, 1,900 sweaters, 1,900 pairs of pants, 3,800 blankets, 1,100 towels, 700 kegs of powdered milk, 1,200 sacks of rice, and on and on and went. Even when you'd go, God, there's no way that you could do this. Is anything too hard for God? Uh, there was a woman once who came up to the, the famous British preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, and she said, uh, Sir, I've always wondered, when we pray, should we, should we even pray about the little things or just the big things? And he answered her, he said, Madam, can you think of anything in your life that is big to God? Isn't that an interesting thought? 
but it's the right thought. Because when we think rightly of the God who can do immeasurably more, there is nothing that's too big for him. And so, friends, as we think and as you think, because it can get so easy to get lost in our stuff, but as you think of all of the things that you're facing, we need to stop categorizing things by how hard they would be for us and start categorizing them by how hard they would be for our God. And they're not hard. They're not hard because he can do immeasurably more. And so we need to pray to the God who is more than able. We need to pray in faith. And I want us to actually pray, okay? Sometimes in church we're like, we need to do this and we don't do it, okay? We need to do it. We need to pray in faith. And so in two or three minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a time where I'm going to ask any of our elders that are in the room, our prayer team members, they're actually going to come forward in a couple minutes and they're going to line up in front of the stage. And then they're going to be here during our two final songs of worship. And what I want you to do, anytime there's two songs, many of you, I want you to come down and I want you to bring your prayer request to them. I say, this is what I need God to do in my life. It may be a small thing. That's okay. It may be something where you're going, yeah, it would take immeasurably more. No problem. Our God specializes in that, right? And so that's why we come to him asking in faith. And I want to see many of you come. Even if you have to wait a little bit, that's why we're doing this for two songs. You have room to come and move these sort of Christianese things that are in your head, but move it to your heart and your feet to come in faith and ask God to move. You may pray with them if you want. They can just pray over you however you want to do it. And if you're here and you're going, you know what you said at the beginning about the greatest miracle? And for you, you're thinking, actually, the greatest miracle would be that God would forgive me after what I've done. I want you to know you can experience that too. Because he can forgive you. And he did send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all of your sins. Even the ones you think you couldn't be forgiven for, you can. And even that is just a step of faith. So as we have our elders and and prayer team members up in the front, I'm going to ask our follow-up team to be in the, the front right corner over there. And if you say, I just need to be forgiven. I need to start walking with Jesus to have a relationship with him, to be, have eternal life in him, you can have that today too. If that's you, just walk over to that corner and they'll pray over you and get you started in that, okay? So at this point, I'm gonna call our, our worship team back on stage and if you are an elder, uh, if you're a prayer team member, at this point I wanna invite you down, a pastor, we have some of them in here as well. Um, would you come down to the front uh, to just receive people in prayer? I'm gonna pray and then at any time, just come and let's just come to God in faith, okay? All right, let me pray. Lord, we, we, we acknowledge today that you are the God who can do immeasurably more. We trust you, we believe you, and we trust you no matter what you do, God. Because you are king. You are sovereign, you are control, but you are powerful. And so we come to you believing in faith this morning. So God, hear our prayers and move in this room. It's in your name we pray. Amen.